I invite you to open your Bible to Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78. If you're using the Pew Bible in the rack in front of you, that'd be on page 488. We're going to be in Psalm 78 verses 1 to 8, which comes under the heading in your Bible most likely that says, Tell the Coming Generation. This is God's word, Psalm 78, 1 to 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father God, we thank you for inspiring these words that we just read. And we thank you for preserving them throughout centuries so that we can read them and think about them and learn from them this morning. Father, my prayer this morning is that we would grow in intellectual knowledge, that we would know more about you as a result of our time together. But Father, more importantly, help us to become more intimate with you through reading, hearing, and understanding your word this morning. Father, would you use it to transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The average lifespan across the globe, which obviously varies country to country, is somewhere around 80 years. 80 years. That's 29,200 days, 700,800 hours, or 42,048,000 minutes. Now generally, for most in this country at least, the first 18 to 22 or 23 years could be described as diapers to diplomas. Infants, toddlers, child, elementary school, adolescence, middle school, high school, and for some, college. The next 30, for 40, 30 to 40 years, although different for each person, is involved of adults doing adult things. Working, moving, raising family, paying off mortgages, enjoying good moments of life, navigating difficult moments of life, caring for family members, and the list goes on and on and on. And then the last decades of life is filled with a variety of tasks, activities, and family responsibilities. And no matter how long one lives, 
No matter how long one is on the globe spinning around or how many journeys around the sun you or I make, the saying is still true. Two things are sure, death and taxes. And although 70, 80, 90, even 100 years seems like a long time, it is only a tiny grain of sand set on the beach of eternity. And although we realize how short our average 80 years are, set above every single day, minute, and second, is God our creator and his purposes for our lives. And as we transition to our text this morning here in Psalm 78, we are reminded that throughout the Bible, God has an emphasis on the next generation. A reminder that there's more going on than what we see right in front of us. And likely, in the coming decades and centuries ahead, when none of us are alive anymore, the world will still be spinning. And we realize that although our 80 years seems long, it's just a tiny piece of sand. And so this morning as we look here at Psalm 78, we are going to see in this psalm that God calls us to live right now, this very moment, in light of the generations that come after us. That God calls us to live right now, today, in August 2021, in light of the generations that come after us. Another much more fun way to say this would be, we need to live today with our great, 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 great grandchildren in mind. And this text gives us at least three things that we need to do right now, this very moment, if we're going to live in light of the generations that come after us. First, we see here in this text that if we're going to live with the coming generations in mind, we need to make sure that we have the same target or the same goal that God has for our children compared to what we have for our children. For it would have been difficult several weeks ago in the Summer Olympics for someone to win a medal in archery if they didn't know where the target was or if they aimed for the wrong bullseye. Thankfully, the psalmist here in this, in this section of scripture is very clear about the goal or the target that God has for your children. Look with me at verse 7. The psalmist, writing about children, says, So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is the goal that God has for our children but it's also the goal that God has for us. Let's think deeply about these three things. The first thing the psalmist mentioned is that our children would have, would set their hope in God. Everything in our world is here today and gone tomorrow. There's many things that we could think about or hope for, but the psalmist directly puts our attention on the one being who will be forever. Now think about all the things that you could hope for for your children. You could take the back of the compass and you could make a long list that goes on and on and on. But I wonder if many of those things we put on the list one day would disappear. 
And it's as if the psalmist is shouting here in verse 7, hope in the one being that lasts forever, the one who stands above the seashore of eternity. The second thing the psalmist mentions here in, in verse 7 is that the next generation, our children, would not forget the works of God. Now this is the danger of every generation, that the generation would drift so far away from God that they wouldn't recognize the works of God. Or completely in the other direction and be so familiar with the works of God that we forget the God who is behind them. It's always a good remember, reminder for us as we worship God together that God did not just show up on the scene when America was founded. God did not just grow interest in the earth when you or I was born. But the Bible is clear that from eternity past to eternity future, God is a faithful God who is working in front of the generations. And the psalmist says we want our children to recognize these works. And the third thing, the third goal that the psalmist gives us for our children is that so that our kids would keep his commandments. Now this is something I explain to our high schoolers again and again and again. I believe it's a lie that a lot of us believe that when God gave us his commandments that he was trying to make our life miserable. Right? I remind the students that when God said, children, obey your parents, he wasn't trying to make it difficult on them. Or when God said, do not lie or do not steal, he wasn't trying to like taint down our social life. But God gave his commandments that he knew were best for us. Now when we think about our children and our grandchildren, we must remember here when we want them to keep his commandments, our goal is not to create little moral monsters or 21st century Pharisees who are on the outside look like they have it all together. I think one of the biggest risks in our church with the students I work with is that we can so often look like we're moral on the outside, yet our hearts are hard and far from God. And so we're reminded that as we think about our kids keeping the commandments, that from Adam and Eve into every person who ever lived on this globe, there's only one person who kept the law perfectly. And it wasn't your child. And it wasn't you. But it was Jesus. So we're reminded of the gospel that there's a Savior who came out from out and came in to save us from our sins. And this is the goal that God gives us for our children. That they would hope in God, that they would remember the works of God, and that they would follow the ways of God. And so this leaves us a question. How does God's goal for your children line up with your goal for your children? Now, it doesn't mean that we can't set goals for our kids. Academic goals, social goals, athletic goals, extracurricular goals, career-oriented goals, 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 and goals. But we must make sure that our goals or target that we're aiming for with our children does not prioritize God's goals for your children. And we must keep them in perspective. As a youth pastor, this is one of my greatest fears. How sad it would be 
for your children to keep the academic goals you have for them, yet hope more in their GPA than they hope in God. How miserable it would be for your child to attain the athletic goals you have for them, no matter how high they are, yet become more familiar with the team playbook than with the word of God. Or how terrifying it would be for our children, and I think of my own children, if they get into the college we want for them, get the job we want for them, make more money than you or I ever made, yet live a life without knowing Jesus Christ. Friends, we must make sure our goals for our children are prioritized correctly underneath God's goals for our children. And that takes intentionality. So I ask again, do your goals align with God goal, God's goals? Because if we're going to live in light of eternity, if we're going to live with our great-great-great-grandchildren in mind, we must have the same goals for our children as God has for our children. Next, the second reminder that this psalm has for us, if we're going to live today, August 22nd, 2021, in light of eternity, in light of the generations that come after us, we need to look beyond the right now, and we need to look into the generations of the future. Now you're sitting here going, Pastor Kyle, thank you for telling me something obvious. My Bible says this, this psalm's about the next generation. It mentions the next generation several times. But I realize that the slogan of our world could be summarized in one word, urgent. And when we read this psalm, we're, we're brought to the question, how much did I think this week about what's happening today, right now, in front of me? And how much time have I thought about 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now? And we realize that this psalm is focused on the future. Yes, we need to do something today, but we must not forget tomorrow and the days that will follow. Look with me at two sections here in verse 4, starting in verse 4. The psalmist writes, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Or look ahead two verses to verse 6. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So we see an emphasis here, not only on our kids, not only on the next generation, but actually the generation that will follow them, right? That we reach the next generation with the next generation in mind. And we realize again, if this is going to happen, it doesn't happen by accident. You don't just drift into reaching the next generations of your family by just going day to day and not thinking of what's coming down the line. I am thankful for how one pastor explains how he does this in his family. He writes about family devotions, or what we would say, reading the Bible with your kids. Now I bring this up and some of us are like, oh man, I fail at family devotions again and again and again and join the club. Many of us would say we do that. But I like what he says here when he says the intention of what he's doing. 
Listen to what he writes. My plan is that a hundred years from now, there will be great-great and great-great-great-grandchildren who can't imagine these practices not taking place in their households because I have so thoroughly ingrained them in my children's lives in the here and now. For these parents and children, my name will be long forgotten. Right? Go several generations down the line. They won't even know who this guy is. Ancestry.com, see his name. I don't know who he is. But he says, I want God's word to be so deeply engraved in my family that those future generations will not be able to escape its implications. He writes, I hope to start something in my family that I cannot finish because it will outlast my time on this earth. That doesn't happen by accident. But now I realize there's people sitting here saying, thanks a lot, Pastor Kyle. I don't have children. My, my, my wife or husband and I, we don't have children. Maybe you're a 10-year-old here today, a 15-year-old here today, a college student here today, thinking, how am I supposed to influence the next generation? I am the next generation. But I want to remind us today that the implications of this text do not only apply to adults. As I've been thinking about this, I was reminded of the testimony of one of our church members that I heard this summer. She grew up as a teenager in the 1970s. Her family had zero interest in the things of God, which definitely meant they had zero interest in going to church. In the 1970s, it was common for churches to go knock on the doors and invite others to church or share about God. Her family wouldn't even open the door. Zero interest in God, zero interest in church. Except she had two 15-year-old friends, Karen and Becky, who invited her to church. Now, it's not what my family does. They'd invite her again. No, my family has zero interest in this. And again and again and again. Now, Karen and Becky, they weren't jerks, but they were persistent. And they were compassionate to their friend. Finally, 1977, she was 15 years old. She went to church with Karen and Becky. Now, it's interesting. One of her first observations when she walked in the doors of the church, and we could see that happen even today for someone to walk into church for the first time. One of the first observations she made was that it was really cool that families were together at church worshiping God. Not her family. Zero interest in the things of God, zero interest in church. But God had other plans. In 1977, Lori Fry, who at the time was Lori Hicks, got saved in that church. That would have been pretty cool if the story ended there, but it didn't. In God's immense kindness, not only did she get saved, but her mom got saved, her brother got saved, and her cousin got saved. Well, time moves on. Lori gets older. She goes to college, eventually meets Glenn, gets married to Glenn, and eventually they have children. For the first 15 years of Lori's life, no interest in the things of God. And what does she and Glenn do? They raise their kids in the ways of the Lord. And they do it right here at Old North Church, right here in this room. 
Now, was the Fry family perfect? No. But they were intentionally raising their kids in the ways of the Lord. What happened to their two daughters? Were they perfect? No, just like your kids aren't perfect. But they knew Jesus. They grew up. They married Christian men. And you know what they're doing now? They're raising their grandkids in the ways of the Lord. Now, I think that would be pretty cool if the story ended there, but it gets even better for us here at Old North Church. For the past 20 years, since 2001, Glenn and Lori have served in middle school ministry. That's got to be a national record, 20 years. <laughs> There's not a kid who doesn't stand up here on graduation Sunday if they were part of the middle school ministry here that Glenn or Lori did not teach them the Bible. Generations are changing. I have a question for you. Who did God sovereignly use to knock that first domino over? Well, obviously he used an adult and he used a pastor and he used other people. But he most clearly used two 15-year-old girls, Karen and Becky. I get tears in my eyes thinking about their grandkids, their five grandkids who if they know the Lord, they might never meet Karen or Becky, but their life trajectory is different because two 15-year-old girls stepped out of their comfort zone and invited Lori Hicks to church. I don't know how old you are today, whether you have kids or not, but God's mission is the next generation. And if this is God's mission, this is our mission. I also realize as we think about this today, there's some of us in this room who are at the opposite end of the spectrum. Pastor Kyle, I raised my kids in the ways of the Lord. Pastor Kyle, I, I brought my kids to Awana. I brought my kids to youth group. Now they're grown and they don't follow Jesus. Worse yet, my grandkids don't follow Jesus and I feel like there's nothing I can do about it. Let's not ignore, that is a heavy, heavy thing. Some of you are sitting here and you have the picture of a family member that you wish would know the Lord. And I just want to remind you, as we think of the next generations here, I want to remind you with what God's word teaches. It seems simple, but it's true. That God loves your kids and God loves your grandkids immeasurably more than you do. And we do not know how God will answer our prayers or when he will answer our prayers. I mean, we don't know what God's plan is for us. We know we're not guaranteed 80 years, but we know if we play the odds, most likely our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids will outlive us on this globe. And it's incredible thinking how our prayers today for our kids, for our grandkids, for our great-grandkids might only be answered long after we're dead and buried. Because God answers his prayers, our prayers, on his timeline and in his ways. So I'd even invite you later today when we have a time for people to come up for prayer at the end of the service to continue to pray for your kids and grandkids who don't know the Lord. But all of this takes a good dose of intentionality if we're going to live in light of the future generations. The last implication here in Psalm 78 is if we're going to live in light of eternity, 
if we're going to live today with our great, 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 great grandkids in mind, we need to actually speak the gospel or speak the things of God to the next generation. We can't just assume that our kids are going to become Christian because they're part of our family. Or we can't just assume that our kids are going to end up like maybe we did if we don't intentionally speak the gospel to them. Now it is true that things are both caught and taught. But the longer I'm a youth pastor, I've never had a dad sit in my office and tell me he regrets the time that he prayed for his son in the morning before he went to school. I've never had a mom call me during the week and say she regrets the time she has her daughter read a psalm off her iPhone while they're driving to school, while mom's driving and daughter's in the passenger seat, spending just a small dose of time in the Word. I've never had a parent regret that. And we need to make sure we're intentionally speaking the gospel to the next generation, not just assuming that they're going to get it. We see this at least three times in this psalm. Look with me at the second part of verse 4. It says, tell to the coming generation. The word tell implies using words. The second half of verse 5, it says, teach to their children. It's impossible to teach if we don't use words. Or if we look in verse 6, it says that our kids, the next generation, will arise and tell them to their children. Right? Intentionally using words with our children, hoping that they will use words to share with their children one day. Now this is a serious problem in the church as a whole, right? It's in every generation, but it's definitely here in our generation, and it shows in two different polls, right? There's some families that would be over here, and they would say, my family, we do family devotions together. I pray for my kids, I read the Bible with my kids, I, like, all, all checks and balances, it's all here, right? I take care of the spiritual life of my kids. I don't really need the church to help me, I have it covered. And then the other end of the spectrum, which I think is a lot more popular, is I will take care of my kids, I will take care of their health, I'll take care of everything, but I'm hoping that the church teaches my kids the ways of God. Right? And this fits the cultural narrative, right? If our kids need athletic help, we get them a trainer. If they need academic help, we get them a tutor. If they need spiritual help, we get them a youth pastor or a youth leader or a church. And we say, although, although you know, our family, we don't spend much time with God as a family, right? I take my kid to church again and again and again. And we realize that for each family— in each season of life, it flows from one extreme to the other. To only in the family, only in the family, not the church. Or hoping that the church is going to do something right so they can save my child because we don't really have time in our family to do this. And like we hear this again and again and again. And I would just say this morning, especially as a student pastor here, I don't think it has to be an either or. I think it's supposed to be a both and. That parents, God has designed you uniquely to speak the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word to your kids 
in a way that they will hear it differently than anyone else. Our children need moms and dads who love Jesus and who will speak the gospel to them. But parents, you're not the hero. God specifically created the family unit to be the primary disciplers of their kids, but he created the family unit to fit within the local church so that there can be other adults who speak truth into your child's life. I mean, one of my favorite moments when I talk with new prospective youth leaders or when I meet with parents who, whose kids come to youth ministry is we talk about how they can tell their kids something again and again and again. Right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands from parents, but sometimes it feels like you say the same thing 10 times, 50 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. Nothing. <laughs> then their kids here at youth group on Wednesday night or in a water, you know, in a small group in the great room in the high school ministry, their youth leader says the same thing that mom or dad's been saying, and boom, the light bulb goes off. It's like, I've been telling you this for a year and a half. But we see that God created the family unit to fit within the local church so that although we primarily disciple our kids, it's healthy to have other adults speak God's truth into our children's lives. I can't give much um, parenting advice out of experience because my kids are really little. But I can speak about the things that my parents did when I was a teenager. And our family was not perfect. My parents were flawed. But the best things my parents did for me was when I was a teenager, I was a freshman in high school and I was really struggling spiritually. I was trying to figure things out and I was really struggling. And I knew that my parents cared about me. I knew that they were the primary ones to speak truth into my life. But my parents intentionally urged me to talk to my small group leaders at church, to talk to my pastors, to talk to my family members. And I am eternally grateful for Mr. Wakefield, who was my small group leader, or Mr. Mode, who I met at a pizza shop and would buy me pizza and we'd talk about Jesus, or my youth pastors or my college pastors, who came alongside my parents, although they were telling me the same thing my parents were telling me, it urged me forward in the ways of the Lord. And being transparent in front of you this morning, I think it's safe to say, if it wasn't for the local church that my family was part of, I don't know if I'd still be a Christian today. Because although my parents have poured truth into me, my local church has enabled me to be reminded of the same things that I heard at home. So I don't know where your family's at on the spectrum. Some of you are over here saying, you know what? We fail at family devotions all the time. And I would just encourage you, we're about to start a new school year, start small. Open up to a book of the Bible. I'd suggest maybe Mark. Every morning as a family, just read a small section and then pray before the day. Think about what it means for your family. But don't neglect the church. Have your kid in the life of the local church. But to the other end of the spectrum, right, right I, I would just urge you, right, remember, don't neglect your kid being in youth group, but remember, youth group is not enough. Especially if you're sitting here and your family's like, you know what, we've tried youth ministry, we've tried Awana before, we've tried kids' Sunday school. Like, it's just not for my family. 
I would just say, as we're starting a new school year, let's give it another try. There's nothing more we want for our kids than to hear God's word from other people other than us. And in God's grace, we're able to hear it here at Old North from many different generations. So we think about this speaking the gospel to our kids, intentionally speaking to our little kids and to our older kids. And I just want to speak to you grandparents for a minute before we move on. Or maybe you aunt and uncles who have, who have nieces and nephews or other family members. You're like, I'm a 70-year-old grandma. My 12-year-old grandson thinks I'm weird. <laughs> thinks I'm a Bible thumper. Thinks I, like, they don't want to, like, and then maybe you're an aunt or uncle thinking, you know what, I'd love to share the gospel with my nephew, but he's cool. He, he talks different than me. Like, how am I going to share the gospel with him? I just want to transparently say to you this morning that trying to be cool only takes you so far. Right? As a youth pastor over the past year, I've learned l words that I never knew existed before. I've learned apparently the word slap means something about like really good. The word cap or no cap means something about lying or not, right? There's all kinds of lingo out there that I'm never going to know. And if I'm not going to know it, you're surely never going to know it. <laughs> and I want to remind you, as we share the gospel with the next generation, the goal is not to make the gospel cool. Because the gospel isn't cool. Paul says the gospel is powerful. Right? What does he write in 1 Corinthians 1? That for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Grandparents, don't be afraid to share the gospel with your 12-year-old grandson. Aunts, don't be afraid to share the gospel with your 10-year-old nephew. Let's not be afraid or be fearful that we're not cool enough. We have the most powerful thing in the world, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my prayer for our church is that we boldly proclaim the gospel to the next generation. Because there's nothing more that they need than for us to courageously and urgently share the gospel with them. And as we close this morning, as we think about this psalm and what it means for us, I just want to put my cards on the table. I want to share with you why I'm so passionate about the next generation. I love being a youth pastor. I love your kids and your grandkids. But that's not the ultimate reason why I'm passionate about the next generation. The reason I'm passionate about this text and what it means for us here at Old North Church is that for some reason, in the 1950s, out of all the billions of people in the world, God saw it fit to save four people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their names were Earl Hoffsmith, Marion Graybill, Faber Walters, and Beverly Painter. I don't know why he saved them, but he did. And eventually, Earl married Marion and Faber married Beverly. Time went on and they had children, one of whom was Tim Hoffsmith and one who was Belinda Walters. And although they were imperfectly raised in a Christian home, they were raised in a Christian home with the desire for them to know Jesus. 
Well, time went on, and Tim Hofsmith married Belinda, and they had three sons, Kent, Kyle, and Joel. And I can tell you, like many families can say here, being the middle son of three boys meant for a very interesting upbringing. <laughs> and my parents had a lot of desires for us at different times. But I never once questioned what my parents' goal was for my life. My mom would say again and again and again that her goal was for me to know God and by his grace turn into a godly man. And for some reason, God saw it fit as a five-year-old to save me. And my life, although oftentimes on the outside looks like I have it all together, many people growing up would assume that I had it all figured out. There were many highs and many lows. But by God's grace, as a high school student, I got baptized. That's why when I stand over here and baptize high school students, like, it's more than just my job. Like, it's my own life. And God saw it fit by his grace that eventually I met Jenna and married her. And now I look at my two children in front of me. Ben, several weeks old, and Madeline, almost two-year-old, and already showing signs of being a teenager. <laughs> and I look at them, and if I was honest with you, there are many goals I could tell you I have for their life. Many of them selfish that I would want for them. But there is nothing more I want for them, nothing more, than for them to know Jesus and follow him with their whole lives. And I know your kids. And I know your grandkids, many of whom are in this room right now. And I can tell you, there is nothing more I want for them than to know Jesus and follow him with their whole lives. So I just invite you, as we turn the calendar, as we get ready for a new school year and think of what it means for us here at the church and us and our families, I just invite you to come with us that we would check our target, our goals that we have for our kids to make sure that our goals line up with God's goals. That in the midst of the busyness that we face, at the midst of the slogan of our generation, urgent, that we would not take moments to stop, to breathe, and to remember, and to think about, and to pray about the generations that will come after us. And lastly, that we would be a church, Old North Church, that in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, and right here in our church, that we would boldly and passionately proclaim the gospel to the next generation. That in eternity, we would hear stories of how God used the people of Old North Church, not only for this generation, but for the generations that come. Would you bow in prayer with me? God, I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that you are a God that cares for the next generation. I pray that we would be able to take a moment to stop and to remember who you are and what you've done. And Father, I pray that we would be able 
to present the gospel to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren that the generations might be different because of the life that we live by your grace today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.